0: conversations that the disciples had with Jesus and that Jesus had with the disciples. And then this morning we're going to be looking at a conversation he has with Peter. But what do we see in Peter as well as the disciples? What we see in him again, and this goes back to last week, we see confusion or delusion. Uh, They just don't get who Jesus is. So there's confusion in their life. And listen, if a spiritual entity is walking at you on the water, I kind of I kind of get what you might panic. All the mythology of that day, things you've been told as a child, and now you see that. Several of us were on the recent Delta Grace mission trip, and as we were going into the Delta, we dropped down into that incredibly long flat land forever, right? Somebody told the story on the team of a young girl who had grown up, was born and raised in the Delta, and she was going to a an event, a school trip in Oxford. And as they came out of the Delta, right around the Batesville area, finally where you get into some hills, she started to cry and cry and cry. And the teacher asked her, why why are you crying? Why are you upset? It was the hills. She had never seen hills before. Just seeing that set her off. Can you imagine being on a on a boat already with the wind and the waves at you and all those scary things we talked about last week that if you died at sea, but then to see this the spirit? Is that a spirit? So they're confused again. And I understand why they where they struggle. Because listen, if it's a spirit, God's been clear. If you've been reading along in our Bible reading plan, You go back to Deuteronomy, God, in these chapters this week, it's a detestable thing. You don't consort with mediums or with spirits or the dead. God has said you cast people out if they do that in the camp. And so to see that coming right at you, no wonder they're confused. Could it be a ghost? And we better not have anything to do with that. And not only that, they miss who Jesus is. And then again, we find them once again And you'll see it later too they're letting fear rule their lives and their response to god at my last parsonage the walk-in shower had a bar at about six foot one six foot two right there i'm six foot four bam right first couple of days i'm in that parsonage bam every once in a while i forget Bam! But after seven years, I finally learned: duck when you go in, duck when you come out. We moved to this parsonage here, and for this sh- walk-in shower, it's just a door, no bar. Just the door opens up. You want to guess what I did for several weeks, maybe months? <laughs> you would have to. Why? I don't want to get. I'm going to get popped. And that's what fear can do. When I've taken it on the chin a few times in a relationship or at family or at church, my default position sometimes can be fear and self-preservation. And you see that going on here with these disciples. Uh, It it can be their default position. Um, But the good news is when we get to the book of Acts, these guys don't duck, they don't flinch, and they don't blink. But it can come to us. A real challenge that we've been hurt or we've been, we've been we've, whatever it might have been, we, we tend to duck and we tend to revert to fear. Now, what did Jesus say last week? Quickly to review. He says, take courage, it is I, don't be afraid. So here he offers them not only grace, but he offers them, if you're following along in your notes, Instruction take courage. You can can know that you can get through this with me. When he says, it is I, it literally means God himself is with you. And then do not be afraid. He'll say it here. He'll say it at the transfiguration. He'll say it after his resurrection. It's Jesus's calling card. He comes to believers. He knows what we go through. We have a high priest who can sympathize with our weakness. And he says the words that we need to hear. You don't have to be afraid. Even in all of this, as their imaginations are on fire and their fear of the wind and waves has got the best of them, they can say, we don't have to fear. And so what is it for this morning? What is it that Peter says? Lord, if it's you, tell me to come to you on the water. If it's you, Tell me to come out to you. Now, first reading of that, and maybe what Jesus says later confirms it, it sounds like there's a little bit of doubt in his voice, if it's you. And then also maybe there's a little bit of demand there as well. Tell me to come out. This this particular woman walked by a pet store every day she went to work. And as she walked by that pet store one late spring afternoon, the windows were up, and right there in the window was a parrot. And as she walked by that store window, the parrot yelled out, Hey, lady, you look terrible. She looked at that thing, gave it a mean look, and went on to work. Well, she came back that afternoon, and she walked by that same window. Same thing was said, Hey, lady. And she looked, you look terrible. She got mad and went on home. The next morning, still a warm day, the window's up. She walks by, the parrot says the same thing, hey lady, you look terrible. She runs into the store and tells the owner, you need to kill that bird. You need to get rid of that bird, never have that bird. He says, ma'am, I'll talk to the bird. It'll be fine, he won't do it again. So she storms off to work. After work's over, she comes by. Again, the window is open. She walks by, she looks at that bird and he says, hey lady, and she looks at him. You know, you know. That that parrot may not have said it, but you know what he he was thinking, right? It's not overtly said. It's not overtly known in this scripture, but boy, it sure sounds like doubt, and it sure sounds like demand, and I get it. I get it. Walking on water? I mean, you have some hints of water with the Red Sea. God can split it. You've got the axe head with Elijah, but... But something like this, coming out there, how do I do that? How can you do that? And so there's some doubt. But then on top of that, what we get from Peter is not only doubt, but you get some demand. You ever done that with somebody? Here's Jesus, giving them a little bit of grace, take courage, it's I, a little bit of grace, and then you think somebody will get better and end up they end up just getting more and more demanding. Um, that's what you see here with Peter. There's doubt and it seems like there's also demand. My hope is this is just Peter being Peter. Maybe we'll find out someday. Maybe it's, maybe it's just like Peter to, if I can have that too, God, I want that. Jesus, if I can have that, Would you give me that gift? I want all that I can have. Everything that Scripture says can be in my life. Everything that Scripture says can be worked through my life. Give me some of that. Maybe that's what's going on here. When you listen to the way that Jesus responds, I don't think that's what's going on here. Sounds more like doubt and demand. And what's Jesus' response? What does Jesus say that when somebody potentially questions who he is, and then demands for him to do something, what does Jesus say? Come on. I wonder if if it sounds a little bit like, oh, brother, where art thou? Come on in, boys. The water is fine. It's just like Jesus met with demand and doubt to offer grace. Many of you may know Dr. Paul Tashiro. He taught at Wesley Biblical Seminary in Jackson for decades as the Old Testament professor uh, before John Oswald came to serve there. Dr. Tashiro, I'd love to tell you a story sometime. He was actually training to be a bonsai pilot uh, when World War II ended and later came uh, to Christ in amazing ways. Well, he was invited to speak at an American church and so they had flown in a 20-something hour flight and through that flight for some reason or not they didn't serve food on that plane so he lands with he and his wife and then they get driven to their host home he gets to the host home and the host says would you like something to eat or drink and Dr. DeShiro being raised Properly in the Japanese culture where you refuse things two times and it's only on the third time, just like Brazilian culture, it's only on the third time that you can say, yes, I'll take something. So on the first time he refused, would you like something to eat or drink, you or your wife? No, we're fine. And the homeowner said, great, and went to bed. (laughs) And Paul to was out. One strike and out. With Peter's life, you would think. This is not just the third strike, and there's going to be strike after strike after strike. Drop the hammer. If it's you, and you tell me what to do, come out on that water. And it's just like Jesus to offer grace. It's just like Jesus to offer grace. Now, in my little cynical, sarcastic mind, I'm also wondering if this is maybe some payback going on. I doubt it. But is it, oh, you want to come out on the water? Adam and Eve have already found out that taking on the burden of the gods is something that, it, that does not work well. But I'm looking at Jesus' response here and, you, and you're just uh, wondering, could it be uh, that he's saying, come out here and see what it's like? But I will say this, what I think's going on, and, I, and again the text doesn't argue for this, so this is your preacher saying this. I wonder if Jesus is ecstatic that somebody finally says, I'm gonna jump out by faith. I wonder if that's going on. It's just like him to be gracious, but to have somebody who's not paralyzed by their fear or their confusion, and somebody to not just keep their God in a box, but say, God, Jesus, if you've said I can do it and you're out there, just maybe I could be out there too with you. And I wonder if Jesus just says, come on out here, and if maybe there's this pleasure in Christ. Peter sings. We know that. He gets his eyes on the wind and the waves, and it makes him sink. He t- As they said, he took his eyes off of Jesus. But at least Peter got out of the boat. Maybe. But I love the picture we get of Jesus. And this is what we'll do next week. We'll look at Jesus' response more. And what that miracle says of Jesus. But I love that his patience here, yet again, with his disciples. They, they reckon him to be a ghost and all that confusion that goes with that. And then you get this doubt and demands. And yet Jesus just yet again is patient and says, come out here. I love what John Orkberg says about the patient, patient nature of our God. He writes, the most serious sign of hurry sickness is a diminished capacity to love. And again, he's talking about our culture, how we just race at a frenetic pace. The most serious sign of hurry sickness is a diminished capacity to love. Love and hurry are fundamentally incompatible. Love always takes time. And time is, one of, time is one thing hurried people don't have. Hurry is the great enemy of spiritual life. Hurry lies behind much of the anger and frustration of modern life. Hurry prevents us from receiving love from the Father or giving it to His children. That is why Jesus never hurried. This patient love of Christ, yet again another example of him offering grace. So, what does Peter say after he gets out on the water and he starts to sink? He says, Lord, save me. He moves from demand and doubt to desperation. It's it's no longer if you are Jesus. He actually calls Jesus by the great title of Christ Jesus. It's the title that's in the very first creed of the church, not the Apostles Creed or the Nicene Creed, but just simply those three Greek words, kurios, jesus, christos, which means Jesus Christ, you are Lord. And he calls him Lord and then uh, uses that name, but also there's a good reminder here uh, to us in his desperation. Not only does he give him uh, the right title, but he shows where we all are before we're saved. We are desperate without Jesus Christ and His grace, without His cross and resurrecting power. One of you shared with me a few weeks ago that you were in a Bible study where one of my former professors was doing jail ministry. And this, he reported about a particular guy who had been in jail over and over and over and finally yet again found himself on the floor, I think of the Heinz County jail, of the Heinz County jail cell. And on that floor, he just basically yelled out and prayed out to God, God, I'm not getting up. I'm not getting up until you change me. I'm not getting up. God, you have to do this. You come and change me. Christine Keynes has spoken for our Women's IF gathering, and I got to see her last year at the New Room conference, and one of the things she said at that conference is this, Believers, desperation may be your greatest gift. Desperation may be your greatest gift. We're in a world where we got every little answer at our fingertips. We got every little need met. We can kind of drum up whatever we need. We need to be desperate for the Lord Jesus Christ. For our salvation first, but for everything else. For our families, for our work, for our church, desperately lord would you save lord would you lead lord would you help lord would you guide desperation is our greatest gift peter gets that then and he'll get it later as well and then we see that jesus says back to him this is where we see that doubt and demand you of little faith why did you doubt so jesus does some interrogation work here uh, with Jesus, why did you doubt? He's merciful in his struggle, but also He's going to share a word of of truth. And again, I don't think there's any kind of, and again, I wanted to say this earlier, any kind of sarcasm or cynicism from Jesus here. It's simply grace, or as one commentary would say, oh, the exceeding gentleness of Christ. We need a word. Jesus usually offers a word of grace first. John 1:14 when he says that Jesus became incarnate, he offered grace, but he also offers truth. Do you remember that Peanuts comic strip? It's between Lucy and Charlie Brown. I think it's like a Valentine's Day where she's trying to encourage Charlie Brown and she never encourages Charlie Brown, but she simply said to him, "Charlie, I love you." Now, he's not going to believe that. He's going to doubt that. He says, no, you don't. And she says, Charlie, I love you. But every time she says that, he says, no, you don't. Charlie Brown, I love you. No, you don't. And he walks away. And then she says back to him, hey, excuse my slang, hey, stupid, I love you. That's not a good word to use, children. A little bit of truth. Why won't you receive this love as well as grace? When Jesus comes, if he only speaks grace into your life, it's not Jesus. When Jesus comes, he comes full of grace and truth. Yes, he offers to get Peter back into the boat. Yes, he offers him to come on out where he is, but he also has a word of truth for Peter. What's going on with your faith? Oh, you who are doubting. Why the lack of faith? Patience, gentleness, yes, but also reproof. And correction, Jesus comes to always do that. Lastly, the disciples say it, so does Peter when he gets out of the boat and gets out of, I mean, gets out of the water and gets out of his mess. His response is truly, you are the Son of God. Unlike when they thought they had seen a ghost, now Peter has right discernment and he's able to say, you are the Son of God. And they all respond by worshiping. Same thing will be said in two chapters later. They get up to Caesarea Philippi with all those gods, the god Pan and these woodland half-ghosts that are chasing people around. And after that response of Jesus is that mountain, they say the same thing. You are, Peter says the same thing. You are the Son of God. This is full circle. First, Full circle that when they start on the sea, they're wondering who it is. And by the end of this event, they can say, I can tell you exactly who he is. He is the Lord and he is the Son of God. So, who do we say he is? Who do we say that he is today? What's our response to this, his word? The challenge could be to us, maybe we're having times of doubt, and just like Peter, we go through that. Just like the disciples, we go through that. He'll take that, but he wants to move us beyond that. Maybe we can come with our demands. I need you to do this in my life, in my work, in my family, in my... He takes our demands as well but he'll also say a word back what's that word that the Lord Jesus would want to say to you but but also how this morning do you need to be desperate for him maybe for the first time to say yes to him to repent of your sins and say Lord I can't do anything with my mess it's going to be you that's going to have to save me not my, not my works but just simply you and your grace, by what you've won for me in your cross and through your resurrection. I just say, yes, I'm desperate for you. Would you save me? Or would you, whatever temptations in your life, I'm desperate, I can't I can't free myself from the shackle of this temptation. It's gonna be you that has to take it. Or maybe it's a worry. Or maybe it's somebody in your family. Whatever it might be, to give your desperation to the Lord and say, Lord, you, you have it this morning. How is it we need to respond? Our closing hymn is... Be Thou My Vision. Let's commit to respond to Him, and let's continue in our worship as we stand and as we sing.